Absolutely. It plays one of the largest roles because you, this process can't be transactional. If it becomes transactional, it's check this box, complete this form, and here you go, be on your way. And it doesn't really set the tone for what this therapy entails and how it can truly help, you know, with their family and their impact their child. Each and every day across the country, there are thousands of incredible Centria technicians and clinicians providing ABA therapy, whether it's in our clients' homes, our centers, or in the community. This service is built on a powerful science where these life changers come with the capacity to give, serve, and ultimately be part of a transformative story. And we wanna tell those stories and hear from the voices of our tireless staff that support this great mission. While talking a little bit about the science along the way. I'm your host, Timothy Yeager, and this is the Do Wonders Podcast. I'm so glad that you've joined us today. I'm Timothy Yeager. I'm the Vice President of Clinical Curriculum and Quality, and we may not have met yet. I'm at the 90-day mark of my employment at Century and I've been so incredibly impressed by um, the people that I've met along this, you know, this, these three months, the hearts that they have, whether it's our clinical staff, our technicians, our supervising clinicians, our regional clinical directors, our area vice presidents, our HR and finance staff. It's been remarkable to, to get to work alongside a wide range of people that all see how they work aligns with our mission to help children with autism spectrum disorder have the best developmental experience possible and acquire the skills to live independently and succeed in the world on their own terms. And I want to tell the stories and I, I want to meet people along the way. I want to hear their hearts and their passions, but I also want to impart um, part of our science and teach a little bit along the way. Got some great staff here. And I'm excited to share their story, their vision, and their heart with you. With that said, today's going to be a little bit different. Um, I actually got to talk to a number of different Century employees about our standards of care that's being rolled out. An important document that's uh, taken a while to get out, but we're really excited within our clinical department to release this to everybody. And so you'll hear from Dr. Braden Josephson our chief clinical officer. I had the fortunate privilege to talk to Jessica Reed, our director of intake, and Kelly DaCosta, one of our area vice presidents. And you'll also hear from James Macon and Ann Boardman, two of our vice presidents of performance and innovation. I hope this is informative, and I hope it's just the first podcast of many where we get to share um, a vision and a heart for the work that we do. I am joined by our chief clinical officer here at Centria, Dr. Braden Josephson. Braden, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Timothy. A real pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have this discussion and talk through um, somewhat of a monumental uh, release for here at Centria and in the re release of our clinical standards of care. Um, but before we do, I thought it might be you know, helpful for our listeners to know a little bit more about you and your, and your history and in your role here at Centria? Sure. 
Well, one thing that may or may not be known is I am the first chief clinical officer at Centria. So a role that I am excited was identified as important for the organization. I started in October of 2020, but with COVID, I feel like you have to haircut the time frame at least the months that we've been engaged in this sort of do or die effort to get care out to the families that need it. Uh, but I've been a psychologist for over 25 years, and I have also become a behavior analyst. I was one of the first cohorts with Jerry Shook back in the day, uh, and really am passionate about delivering state-of-the-art care to all the families in need uh, with family individuals on the autism spectrum. Uh, my role as chief clinical officer is varied, um, but certainly it's to champion quality and foster clinical effectiveness and really advance a culture of excellence. And I think that's why I'm really excited today to talk to you a little bit about the standards of care, because that's a major part of that. And it really does involve all aspects of the work we do. It's the design, which you and I obviously work a lot on. It's development and making sure what we want to do works. But then it's delivering it out to the masses and the masses being our great clinicians and clinical leaders at the RCD and you know field level such that they can actually execute on some of these strategies. So uh, pretty big responsibility set, but uh, excited about the team we've amassed uh, here in the clinical leadership and know that we can get it done. Yeah, so along the, the history, you, know, you started in October, I started in May. Wow. But this clinical manual has outdate, outdates both of us. It does. Um, and I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about that history and, and how we've gotten to the point that we're at right now. Yeah, sure. I'd happy to share a little backstory. This is where I feel like in a, in a podcast, you get that sort of elusive mystery music. But uh, when I originally arrived at Centria, I heard about the clinical manual, as it was called then, pretty quickly. And you know, Scott, our CEO, my supervisor, had you know mentioned it to me, and I'd heard about it from the clinical team as well. Multiple sections had been written. Uh, there was a philosophy section that was actually even published, uh, but several of the other sections weren't finalized and had not really been released. I've been told, although I have not found this you know, from a forensic perspective, that this started in October 2017. So it has definitely been something in waiting to be told. And um, so it's been a while coming. And all the top clinical minds in the organization, a lot of the VPs that we talk about uh, now who are clinical VPs of performance and innovation, uh, we're working a lot on the different sections. It detailed a lot of aspirational best practices and philosophies. But at almost 200 pages long, uh, it got log jammed as we were striving for perfection. You know, great can often be the enemy of good. Uh, we were getting ready to finish it up uh, toward the end of the year, and then COVID hit. And then we, as an organization, as many or other organizations and families, had to go into disaster mode. Um, we left the manual kind of on the sidelines at that point as a function of really just making sure that we were able to continue to deliver the important care that we you know, are delivering to our families at home and also in our centers. But then we had another COVID-ish moment, but in a good way, uh, the arrival of Timothy Yeager, the host of this podcast, our new VP of Clinical Curriculum and Quality. And you know, sometimes life throws you uh, opportunity. And I saw as a real opportunity to gather the troops, uh, you know, and take a run at this again and complete that manual. We decided to take a fresh look. Uh, we wanted to just, you know, top down, top to bottom, just look at it differently. We shortened the length, I'm happy to say. Uh, we organized it into discrete sections. Uh, we included uh, Van Houten's uh, seminal article about the right state ABA therapy, and we wove that through. And we really set up a framework for the expansion of future content. And that would include things like RCD trainings, telehealth, as we're doing, classroom advantage, which I think you'll hear about, if not on this podcast, on other ones to come. And some of the work that we've been doing on opening outcomes and optimal outcomes. Yeah. In that work, I'm really excited about 
you know, the goal of our clinical manual and what we're calling standards of care being growth of the manual and not perfection from the start. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a good starting point. You have to start somewhere, but I think it can be the kind of thing we talk about different updates and we've talked to you and I about, you know, six month sprints and getting things out there, but I think it's kind of like a, I'm an iPhone user and I feel like it's like the iPhone user. When iOS 14 comes out, people get excited because there's new features or new capabilities and things are being beta tested before they go out. And some people get the developer software so they can play with it. And we're sort of in that incubator as we're putting together with our clinical leadership and some of the RCDs we've pulled in. And a lot of them, I think, as you've mentioned in previous meetings, to really be part of that incubator and that sandbox so that when we do launch it in the clinical manual, it's ready to go. And speaking of that, um, we have clinicians all over the country. And yeah. can you speak a little about the importance of a document of this sort being released to the organization and um, and what that could mean to our, our clinical practices? Sure. No, we have to continually strive to perform at the highest levels and to improve the quality of our care. You know, we need to also have one location where clinicians and staff can go to reference how to do their jobs well and to work in a state of excellence, essentially. And I see the standards of care as the playbook on how to do that and the best opportunity for folks to go to one source of truth. Um, it has our philosophies. It includes the underlying science that is part of the work that we do and it provides guidance on why we're so passionate about the work that we do and for their kids and their families. One of the things that I see in real time is we hire so many talented BCBAs. Uh, you and I both work with them in the orientation process. And what's interesting is these newly minted BCBAs are some folks that have worked in other organizations are coming from different schools. They're coming from different organizations. Some are in education, some are in even non-related autism fields, because as we know, BCBAs can work in other fields. So what we were finding was that we needed to have one you know, one unified approach to how we delivered care because people were coming in with different approaches and different mindsets and philosophies. And even as you and I started to do some work on the sort of quality assurance of where things were, we found that even within our own four walls, if you will, across the country, that some of our best clinicians were doing uh, great work, but not in a way that was standardized across the company as a, as a whole. So we sort of brought those folks in and said, hey, let's. this is a great idea. It's working really well in your state. Uh, let's bring it to the whole country, you know, why would we not? So I think there was a time when it was more uh, unstructured that way. And I'm really excited about the work we're doing. And I think the other thing, the manual or the clinical standards of care, as we now call it, supervisor's edition, uh, is that it level sets our clinical community, clinical community around what our expectations are in terms of the area of practice. So everyone's going to conduct an initial assessment the same way and, you know, provides that future platform, as we talked about, to add on additional componentry to the care we deliver. Yeah, and that source of truth I think is really important when we look at a system that we have and we're responsible for, that without those answers, um, you know, th that source of truth, we lose somewhat of control and, and they find it from a variety of sources, their instructional history, their clinicians, their RCDs or supervisors, and, and as an organization, like trying to support our clinicians, having a single source of truth and our standards of care is a, vital for us to move forward. Agreed. Yeah, I would even say from a general ed population, often referred to as gen ed, you know, there's lots of discussion and agreement or disagreement on what kinds of curriculum should be used and what kind of content. And, you know, in New York, there's a reference to core curriculum and different areas of learning. And I think part of what we need to do as a field and as a science is move toward that kind of model where at least there's that standardization so you can compare kids across a larger group of 
and individuals across a larger group of population. And I think that our manual does that to the extent that it allows us to start, as we will, mining really interesting data around the Centria population. Agreed. The challenge ahead of us is creating the framework, but allowing for individualization for our clients. Right? That's right. That's, um, I like to say that like, we, we establish the dance floor and we have an end goal of what the dance should do, but we're not going to tell them if they need to do the waltz or the hip hop, but that they need to dance. Well, I'll follow that yeah, metaphor just a little further and say that ABA sometimes I feel like is like a shoe. You know, it's there's a size, uh, but not every size, every size 10 doesn't fit exactly the same way. The style is not the same, but we all know it's a shoe and that it serves a similar function. So there's an opportunity to work with different levels of craft when it comes to developing that shoe. Some are for outdoor, some are for indoor, some are for cold weather, some are for warmer weather. So that sort of individual, and we all choose different styles based on a variety of things, but it always stays that shoe, something that's, you know, there for your foot. I think ABA in a lot of ways is similar as you hit that dance floor, you need to be able to do uh, the things to be successful. Yeah. And um, so how's this clinical manual? We, I think we talked a little bit about it, but how are we going to use it moving forward? And um, one of the fears of, you know, a lot of time spent in developing um, a reference tool like this is that it just becomes a dust collector. Yeah, no, I'm old enough. Uh, they won't see me on the podcast, so hopefully I look as young as a, I sound as young as I, I hope I feel and look. But I'm not that old, but I know what a paperweight is, and we don't have those really as much anymore. But so we would want this to become the equivalent of a digital paperweight or something that you read once and left. And I think that's really on we as clinical leaders to make sure that it stays vibrant and fresh and includes the best tools for people to use. Uh, YouTube is successful for a reason because when you pop a bicycle tube like I did, you know, on my tire and I didn't know how to fix it, I went there and I got that support. We need to have a standards of care that basically when a challenging behavior erupts in a, in a various, you know, case setting, or if you're rolling out a new initiative, like opening outcomes or initial impacts, some of our Centria branded, you know, outcome work that we're doing. You need to be able to rewind. You need to be able to look at that content and go back until you feel like you have a level of competency and it has to be your how-to book. I think it's also really important, and I think you've done a great job of highlighting this as we've been rolling this out, is it's for staff members and clinicians alike, not just the clinicians. You know, I think it's really important as you look at the clinical philosophy and it's used, uh, as it's broken into the sections, whether it's uh, initial assessment, functional behavior assessment, family engagement, supervision, it's really about ensuring that we speak about our care and delivery in, in an aligned way and the practices that we do. So, you know, if our, our staff are talking to families or talking to payers or talking to their friends at lunch and dinner, we really want them to describe and represent what Centria does in the same vernacular. And I think that would really be more possible if you've got the playbook. And I would also just encourage people not only to continue to listening to new podcasts like this in terms of how we release content, but look for updates and look for rollouts and updates. Uh, we've got a great marketing team that Dave Spencer oversees. Amy Campbell's amazing at keeping the pulse active and you know up to date. So, uh, and her team in terms of gathering all that information. So, one of the first rollouts we'll have is initial impact. So keep an eye out for that. But I think as we roll out these different initiatives, I would say it's, it should be like a like a leather glove. It should be well worn, but still looks better as it gets older. Love it. We'll leave it there. Okay. Well, thanks. Thank you for joining me, Braden. Yeah. Thanks for having it. me, Timothy. I really appreciate it. Good stuff. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining me in this conversation, Jessica and Kelly. I'm, I'm excited to talk about our standards of care and 
and its impact across our organization. How about you tell me a little bit about yourself, Jessica? Um, how long have you been at Centria? What do you do? Um, what are the roles that you've had within the organization? I have uh, been with Centria since January of this year. I oversee our intake department and um, working to prepare families for our um, markets and clinical teams is um, really exciting and fun to do. It's something I've really loved to be a part of since I've been at Centria. You started in January. I didn't know that. And so you started yes. about four months in, things changed dramatically. <laughs> yes. How, how has that impacted your, your, your role and, and what you're, you're trying to accomplish in, in your department? You know, it's, it's changed a lot, um, but nothing at the same time. You know, it has um, kind of changed the way that we work. Um, it's changed the conversation because many individuals in different markets are going through different, different experiences during the pandemic at different times. And so we have to be very aware of the conversation that we're having and what their specific area and how that's affecting them and what they want to do to move forward. So it's changed in that aspect, but really at the root of it is, understanding like where they're at in their process um, or their journey with their child and their family of um, where they're at and trying to move forward, what their next steps are and really working to help them get to the next, whatever that is for that individual. Uh, that part has not changed. Um, and we're really working to be, you know, better. We've made some you know, really great um, changes, just making some of what we do stronger and how we're talking to people and making sure that they're prepared with information, um, making really impacting that um, to impact the organization as a whole. So an intake, can you talk a little about the touch points that you have with families and clients? Absolutely. So we work with a family as they are first coming to Centria. So we are most often the first point of contact. And the the conversation um, initially is really about understanding where they are at in that journey. So we work with a family who has done therapy before. Uh, they are looking for a new provider or um, looking, you know, weighing out options and looking for a little guidance and want to learn about what Centria does. We work with a family who has a brand new diagnosis and doesn't know what the next step is and have to guide them through what um, what that what therapy looks like and you know what what is ABA therapy. Uh, we also work with a family who has a suspicion of um, of autism or a doctor has said you need to have you know your child evaluated and then providing them with resources to get an evaluation, whether it's one of our own um, or it's someone who is you know we've worked with in you know in a certain market and helping them through that evaluation process. So should they have a diagnosis, we can then, help them, you know, get into therapy if that's the right thing, you know, for their family. Uh, from there, we also work with them to verify insurance, ensure they have proper documentation, um, and that they're prepared and create an expectation of next steps and what they'll go through as they move into work with our clinical teams and um, get started with ABA therapy. We're also joined by Kelly DaCosta from our Pacific Northwest market. Hello. Thank you for joining us, Kelly. Yeah, of course. Can you tell us a little about yourself? How long have you been yeah. at Centria? What do you do? Yeah, so I've been at Centria um, almost four and a half years. So in that aspect, I guess I'm a, a lifer here. Um, 
I was the first hired in the Pacific Northwest as a VCBA. And throughout my time, I've been a VCBA, um, then an RCD, then an ECD, and now I'm an interim AVP. Um, I oversee Pacific Northwest as well as NorCal. Um, and just throughout my time, I've seen the ebb and flow of growth and change and development and, you know, what's led us to this really amazing, strong clinical team with the operational support that that goes along with it. And, um, you know, just a lot of big changes over the years that have been really exciting to to watch and experience. Agree. Um, so in, in your role as interim AVP, can you talk through like what your touch points are um, uh, with the client and, and their family? Yeah. So in terms of actual um, contact with client and family, it's somewhat limited. Um, but for the most part, we're supporting all, all teams that do work with families. Um, so we're really driving um, the business model and how it aligns to our best practices and clinical support. So we don't necessarily have a lot of contact with families, except for when they're really upset, they like to reach out to us. Um, but that really rarely happens. But we do work very, very closely with um, the RCDs as well as BCBAs. And then, of course, the ops teams that support all aspects of that clinical field work as well. Um, so for us, it's it's extremely important to have a good understanding of our service delivery model, what optimal outcomes means and how that relates to our families, because that's how we can drive our leadership amongst the teams we work with. So one thing that's like, you know, somewhat impressed upon me is the amount of non-clinical people within an organization to make it successful, right? So Kelly, you are a BCBA, you have that clinical background, but that's not necessarily true for, I think, any other AVP. Correct, um, area vice president, and so, um, and I am sure in intake we 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 don't have any clinical um, staff, and so, uh, being able to provide a, a standards of care that outlines like what is AB therapy and what are those critical success factors, I I can only imagine that would help, especially in those tough conversations that you guys have, Jessica, along the way, um, with with families, and then that wide range. Be able to have an understanding of what ABA therapy is um, at its foundation, um, I think, has to be you know somewhat of a, a critical you know piece of information um, for both of you. Yeah, it really is. Um, understanding, you know, I don't have a clinical team, and it is you know really at the point where you're going through and letting people understand what. ABA therapy is and, you know, how we deliver that and how that works um, in terms of, you know, getting into therapy and what they can expect when you're dealing with someone who is going through, you know, often in a crisis state and a very difficult time, setting an expectation is very key, um, you know, for really truly helping that family and understanding what they will go through and having that guideline is really, really important so that we're setting the expectation that helps us to you know, build a strong company and deliver great service. Great. And so one of the things that we're trying to highlight in this initial rollout is our, our three, three factors that we identified as like necessary for success. Um, ABA needs to be intense in its service delivery. 
it needs to be continuous. We can provide continuity of care. We're required by our, our, our you know, certifying body to um, provide care in a continuous way. And we really need to engage families. Um, so those are the three points that we're really trying to highlight um, in this initial rollout. And so I was hoping maybe um, each of you could talk about how those are important from your perspective and employees that you oversee um, and employees that you work with. I think for me, the the biggest takeaway from those three points is that everything's linked together by family education, family engagement. You can't have high intensity and recommended hours implemented or the continuity of care without gaining that trust and support with your family. So if your family's educated in ABA, they're engaged, they have buy-in with the goals that you know our BCBAs have created then that will lead to higher intensity and continuity of care. So all three are linked together in order to best support our clients. But it really starts with that that family involvement piece, which is so important. And we, you know, within our model, we start right with Jessica's team. As soon as they hit intake, that's the first thing that we're talking about. And it leads them all the way through graduation. Um, and that was the biggest takeaway from those three points that I saw that has the biggest impact on ops as well. So Jessica, you guys are the first point of contact with families and knowing that family engagement is so critical um, to us, you know, not only providing the service that we provide, but actually achieving outcomes like family involvement is, is critical. And so um, that's quite a weight that you guys, <laughs> you know, hold on your shoulders as the first point of contact. And hoping maybe you could talk a little bit about like how you, Talk to us about with your team, how you guys prepare your team, um, uh, knowing that that's such a critical uh, piece of this uh, service delivery. Absolutely. So this is, you know, this is one of the things that we are reinforcing, you know, just in the last couple of months to ensure that we're really having that conversation with families about the importance of family engagement so that we can drive the conversation about ABA, from a non-clinical perspective, ABA, the intensity that is there, um, the importance of continuity and discuss it with the family so that, you know, you know, I said before creating the expectation, the first time that they're hearing that it should be, you know, the, about the intensity of ABA shouldn't be once they've gotten nearly through the process and starting services. That's something that we can tackle on the front end. So those conversations are really about understanding where, you know, that understanding of where they are in the journey and what they've done previously. You have a client who comes to you that has done therapy previously and they're looking for a new company and they are because it was, they were doing therapy too often. Well, you need to prepare them that that is, that's what's successful, you know, what will help to be successful. And really that's how we can help them um, and, you know, move them, you know, into becoming a century, a client. Um, setting the expectation that it, you know, uh, you know, of what ABA is and how it isn't, you know, a one day a week speech therapy or, you know, OT um, is key to the, like driving that success long-term. So as those discussions are had, you know, on a more clinical level, that it's not, again, the first time that you're hearing it. I can imagine that empathy plays a big part with your staff. Like, uh, knowing that you have families come from all these different spots, you know, whether it's they're transferring providers, so they weren't happy with their provider, or um, they still may be in type of a grieving process with, regard, you know, just find out that their child was diagnosed. Um, I can't imagine how uh, 
critical um, that co- those conversations are and, and what empathy plays into really establishing a, a critical relationship between our organization and these families. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it plays one of the largest roles because you, this process can't be transactional. If it becomes transactional, it's check this box, complete this form and here you go, be on your way. And it doesn't really set the tone for what this therapy entails and how it can truly help, you know, with their family and their impact, their child. So understanding the situation and being that empathetic person who can understand like people are going through a lot and they're really trying to, you know, overcome something, no matter, you know, what stage they are in the journey or where they're at, you know, in this process, you have to really work with them um, based on that to get to an optimal outcome and help them. We agree. And so I I always would say thank you for you guys joining me. Thank you for the, the, the teams that you guys, you know, support and the work they do and, and, and really pushing our organization forward and providing great service to our clients. And, um, you know, I, I hope that the standards of care provides some meaningful content for, for your teams and, and helping better understand how our, our missions are all aligned within all the many different departments of Centria. So thank you for joining me. And I'm joined by James Macon. And Boardman. And we are talking today about the standards of care that's going to get released. That's our clinical manual at Centria. Um, and, you know, I, I started in May, guys, as you know, and the, the clinical manual in, in like dog years is already a, a teenager compared to, to my time. So I thought maybe. I think older than a teenager. No, older than that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least uh, of legal drinking age. Yeah, it, I would say like mid 40s. Okay. So it's, it's able to be a president. Um, <laughs> and so um, with that, um, you guys have been around um, and since one of the beginning. So maybe talking about like what we we're trying to establish from the very beginning with this manual. And then maybe we could talk about current context, like what we're trying to do currently with it. So I feel like the the standards of care or clinical manual has changed a couple different times, but we really wanted to provide a clinical document with all of the best practices within the field, um, as well as the practices that we have at Centria. Um, so we want to incorporate the optimal outcomes model and really highlight treatment planning, care delivery, and service integrity, and uh, make that a clinical focus of the company, but also make sure that all other departments are aware of this, this type of standards of care and uh, why we do the, the certain things that we do um, and just really help streamline our clinical practices at Centria. Yeah. And and I I would kind of add on to that too. Um, It's, it's like behavior analysis is a, is a young field, right? And the standards of care is meant to really like put a flag down, right? Th- this is what behavior analysis looks like at Centria. Um, this is uh, best practice, uh, applied behavior analysis. And it's something that we want others to know, like this is what we stand for. Uh, this is the dimension of quality uh, and care that you can expect uh, when you come to Centria. 
And to me, that is a um, incredibly lofty goal. And I, I could see how um, so much time was taken to put to get it to this point, and how you know when the document was handed to me, it was um, it really embraced um, that like overall mission. But I think it somewhat became not just like a here's centrist practice, but it almost came like an ABA textbook in the way of like here's all the supplemental information around that. And and to me, I you know when we're talking about executing. That's a difficult thing to do is is to like be all encompassing in one document. Yeah. So, I'd say um, that's why uh, we're more than three years uh, into building this this document. And um, you know, Tim, I, I gotta say it's like uh, we're at the finish line here and you know you, you kind of helped make that happen. so I think you get credit. Yeah, I, I consider myself like the fat fullback. You get the ball at the two yard line, you score the touchdown. <laughs> that, that's that's kind of <laughs> rural. <laughs> um, but ultimately, and I think it, you know, it comes down to like a matter of philosophy. And I think moving forward, our goal with this document is um, refining over time and not getting to perfection before we release something. Right? Like, you know, I always fall back on this idea of like you have to behave to be shaped, and um, you know, this document really is our goal is to be a living, breathing document that reflects current practices, reflects what we've learned and optimized and in your guys' roles and mine. And and over time becomes, you know, uh, I think the measure of its success is the growth that it has and not necessarily its perfection from the start. Yeah, that for sure. Seemed, yeah. That seemed like a limiting factor initially. How do you, how do you guys see uh, clinicians using this document? Because ultimately, we don't want it to be a, you know, a paperweight or a, a dust collector on someone's desk. Cubicle. <laughs> I think that a lot of the content is great. I think it will really help um, newer BCBAs or perhaps mid-tiers that they don't have a lot of experience out in the field just yet. And... Um, really help guide their clinical practice. So, you know, how do we do shared decision-making with the family? How are we having that, that parent engagement session and making sure that it's running effectively? So we have um, a lot of checklists in place to be able to help guide the clinician through some of these daily activities that they would be performing. So I think it's, it's a really helpful tool that you will want to use within your practice. And I would kind of elaborate that just like ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis, has behaviorism, which is the philosophy of the science. I think the standards of care uh, manual, it kind of embeds here is uh, Centria's philosophy uh, on what best practice looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, similar to what Ann said, uh, it's kind of like we as a field are young. Um, a lot of our clinicians who perhaps have just graduated, they're looking for additional resources. They're looking for how-tos. Um, and all of that is embedded uh, in the standards of care. Uh, so task analyzed, and I know exactly what to do if um, I'm looking into functional behavior assessment, if I'm looking for the optimal outcomes model, and really breaking it down in, in a useful way. Yeah, I think our challenge as an organization with you know hundreds of clinicians and thousands of technicians is that we have all of us come to Century with a different instructional history, right? 
We're, we're trained at different master's program, graduate programs or undergraduate programs. We have different experiences with different organizations. And ABA can look a little different in its practice across all of those instructional histories. And you know, my thoughts and goal with this, with this document was like, we're defining the goalposts and the field that we're going to operate and play in and how we're going to succeed um, and really get everyone aligned in this way. And from like, from our perspective here at headquarters is this is our promise to our clinicians. Like, here's what we expect from you and here's what we're going to do to support you in order to, to achieve these things. And I think that's a, to me, a, a strong move for us as an organization to be like, here's what we expect from you and, and, and we're going to you know, do everything we can to help you succeed um, in, in achieving those, um, those outcomes. So, um, along those lines, I did want to talk a little bit about like how this gets rolled out to our clinicians. And so, um, you know, we have identified you know five domains for our clinicians that we think um, they need to do to be successful. That's initial assessment and comprehensive assessment, functional behavioral assessment, treatment planning, parent engagement, and supervision of both clients and staff. And um, when we're working to like try to streamline all these systems within our organization, um, we're not going to require everyone move to the standardized practice immediately and use all these tools immediately that we're going to slowly roll these things out. And so for our clinicians that are listening, you're going to find all these documents actually in the clinical drive. And, and we're going to suggest their use as best practice and tools that you can use. And we're going to learn from there. There's going to be a survey that you can complete when you use a form if you want to provide feedback. But over months, what our clinicians are going to receive is training on each of those components. And once they receive training on those components, those documents are going to move from our clinical drive into, to our, into the pulse. So where those become you know, ratified and you know, standardized and tools that are required. There's a lot of change going on across our country and across our organization. And I just uh, want to be clear to our clinicians that this is not just another thing that's going to be put on them that everything has to change. It's, it's going to be a, a slow process that we work towards execution and support and make sure they have all the tools to be successful. Great. So, um, in part, and in closing, I should say, uh, what uh, words of wisdom do we do we have for our clinicians and in, in moving their practice forward and in, in, in this tool? I think that you know any anyone who is a practicing behavior analyst, and I'll say uh, specifically at Centria you want to be the best behavior analyst that you can be. Uh, and for a lot of us, that means that we're, we're reading literature outside of work. It means that uh, we're honing our skill set uh, and that we're, we're trying to teach others. What the standards of care uh, manual does is, is give uh, kind of um, a roadmap. Um, here's how you can refine your skill set. Here are all the tools that you need to be the best behavior analyst that uh, you would expect of yourself and kind of, Tim, to your point, uh, we are we are putting those resources out there for clinicians to make sure that we keep that promise to them, uh, that we help build them uh, as BCBAs and, and behavior analysts to, to be kind of a better uh, practitioner. Yeah, I agree, James. And I think feedback is really important for for BCBAs in the field that are utilizing this tool. So use it, wrap your, your minds around it. 
give us feedback if there's changes that you think uh, you would like to make, like present it back to clinical governance. And like Tim said, this is a living, breathing document. We're going to continue to refine it based on the best practices and feedback that we're getting from you guys in the field. So please speak up. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts around each section as we roll it out. Well, great. Well, thanks for joining me, guys. And uh, I look forward to many conversations about how we support our clinicians in the future. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Well, that concludes our first ever episode of the Do Wonders podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe in whatever podcast app that you use. Our goal is to deliver these to you each and every week as we highlight at least one staff, one clinician, one technician, one of your teammates in their work and how it aligns to our great mission. Until then, do wonders. Do wonders.